Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. And Jesus was very much aware of, of what, was, what was entailed in this. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Was Jesus uh, um, amazed at what was coming? No, he knew. You placed the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jesus was troubled because he knew what the agonies of the cross would involve. Knowing this was the crucial hour, Jesus could not ask to escape the hour because he knew that for this purpose he came to this hour. The cross, which had cast a shadow over the entire life and ministry of Jesus, would now become a reality in the experience of Jesus. As Jesus thought of the cross just a few days away, his main concern was to glorify the name and character of God the Father. As believers, that's what our goal should be in all that we do. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, Already in Progress. We're going to see, uh, after we get through uh, John chapter 12, we get into the very last supper, just hours away from what we're reading now. In John chapter 13, at that last supper, what did Jesus tell his disciples It says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. And then in John chapter 17, at the end of that Last Supper, hours that he spent with his disciples that night before he was finally arrested and crucified. What did it say in his high priestly prayer? Jesus spoke these words in John 17 verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, and yet your Son may also glorify you. There was a time, and the time was now. There was a time when it wasn't, but now there is a time that it is, the hour. In verse 24 it says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much grain. We know this, that when a grain of wheat falls into the ground, what does it do? It falls on the ground, it dies, and then it begins to germinate in the ground, and it produces more grain. That's the way it works. There has to be a death before there can be life. And Jesus' death and resurrection, he would be the first fruits of what would happen to us later on. In fact, we still are awaiting that resurrection that resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits when he died on the cross and, was, and rose again, but then we know that there's coming a time it could happen today, and I hope it does, before I even say another word. 
that he would come for us and we will meet him in the clouds. Our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And there's also another resurrection at the end of the great tribulation period, the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. But Jesus' death and resurrection, he was the grain of wheat that would fall into the ground and it would produce more grain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you recall this chapter. I'd encourage you to read it. It says in verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead. He died. His grain, if you will, went into the ground, but now he and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Notice that. Christ, the firstfruits, and then those who are Christ at his coming. That's you and I and those at the end of the tribulation period. And then in verse 35 of that same chapter, he says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body will, do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. You and I have a terrestrial body. Jesus had a terrestrial body. But when he died and he went into the tomb, guess what? God gave him a new body. You know how we know that? Because this body had characteristics that we don't possess. That body that that Jesus rose on the third day, that body wasn't it was, it'll, it'll live forever. It was made of flesh and bone, energized by the Spirit of God. It was able to pass through physical structures. Was the tomb rolled away so that Jesus could get out because he couldn't get through? He's in a cage? No. He was gone before they opened the tomb. It was able to pass through. The very night of his resurrection, they had the doors closed and Jesus appeared. So there's a quality, a supernatural quality about this body. It's a celestial body. And, but, and that's the kind of body you and I are going to receive when we meet him in the air at the rapture, in the clouds. And that's the same body that the, those who are dead in Christ, who will rise before us, they will receive the same body. Are you encouraged about that? Are you looking forward to that upgrade that you don't have to pay for? I love it. But we're also to die to ourself, aren't we? When we die to ourself, our, body, our, our, our will is like grain, if you will. It's like this grain of wheat that falls under the ground and then it produces something. Well, when we die to ourself, the same thing happens. Because those, not only for us, but for those who are observing our lives. That's why it's important for us to die to ourselves. We need to put off the old deeds of the flesh and put on the new man, Christ Jesus, right? Because people are watching. What did Paul tell the Ephesians? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't know, is anybody um, aware of evil days? We're living in them. And they have become increasingly more evil. So it's time for me to go, oh my goodness. I need to get really serious about my walk with him. And you should. 
because he's tying up the loose ends before he returns. And he's coming very soon, folks. He's coming soon. And you're a new creation. When you gave your heart to Christ, the old man died, and now you are a new creature in Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians in 5 verse 7, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Notice, old things have passed away, but behold, all things have become new. They're new right now. I'm just waiting for the new body part of it. And I'm looking forward to that. But let's go back into our text this morning. In verse 25, it says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you have to underline this word hates because this is significant to understand. Otherwise, your theology, your understanding of God is going to get all whacked. And here it is. That, ver- that word is in the Greek word meseo, and it literally means to detest, certainly, but it means to love less. It doesn't mean that you have to hate your life. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It just means that your life with Christ is, ought to be the preeminent thing. And my life, the things that I wanted to do, my goal for my life was something different. And I said no to that and yes to Christ. Now, some people have a job and they, they, they can be faithful where God has placed them and he's got a call on everyone. So it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. Just be faithful where you're at, and he's faithful to move you or not move you. You just be a light, because people need to hear. They need to see. So don't just jump ship when you get saved in your job. Stay there until the Lord moves you. And he may not move you. He may need you there. And you continue to be a light. But that's what it means. It means to love less. We see this in other passages in the Bible. In Luke, for instance... Uh, Chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when most people read that, they run away with it in tears, and then they go up to their father and mother and slap them on the face and say, I hate you. (laughs) Is that what he's saying? Obviously not. It's the same word, miseo. It means to love less. It means my relationship with God ought to be so great that it appears like hatred to the rest of everybody else because the love and the adoration, the devotion to him is so great. But it doesn't mean that you love less. You're, you're, you know, um, well, well, yeah, you do love them less, but you still love them. God doesn't require you to hate them. In fact, he wants you to love them, but your relationship with Christ ought to be much greater. Does that make sense? It's, it's just a, 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 an unfortunate English translation that can lead us to some wrong ideas about the nature of God. So it's important for us to know that. Important for us to know that. So, verse 26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Notice that the relationship here is tantamount. This is what it's all about. And it's a a relationship of a master and an apprentice. A master and an apprentice. That's what we are to be. Are you willing to serve Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of his? Or are you just a Christian, but you have no, you have no desire to be a disciple? Do you know you can be that? Your life's going to be somewhat miserable. And you may even doubt your salvation because there's no fruit in your life, because you don't want to serve him. You don't want to really draw near to him. You've got your fire insurance by receiving salvation, and that's all you care about. But your life is a complete disaster other than that. And it's because you have no desire to serve him. Are you serving him? Are you a disciple of his? A disciple is somebody who purposely follows the master. 
It's like if somebody has a, a trade and you got a young guy coming up, that young guy is looking at everything that you're doing. I think of, you know, um, in construction, you know, you get some 14, 15-year-old kid who wants to learn what this guy knows, and he's, he's been doing it for he's in his 50s, and he knows all the tricks of the trade. He's got all the tools. He knows how to do things. You know, he... He knows how to, you know, the saw blade is a certain width, and you've got to make sure that you take that into account when you cut it, otherwise you're going to be a quarter inch or an eighth inch short. He knows all these little things, and the young man is looking, and he's learning, and he's learning, and he's learning, because someday he's going to take his master's place. Someday that other guy is going to get old, and he can't move as much, and he's going to be letting that young man take over, and that's the relationship. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Because, see, we're all serving someone. We're either serving ourselves or we're serving Satan. Which, really, if you're serving yourself, you're really serving him because anything other than Christ is satanic. If you're not serving Christ, you're in a lot of trouble. In 1979, Bob Dylan wrote this song called Gotta Serve Somebody. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may, be, you may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a, strong, a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So who are you serving? Who are you serving today? Serve Jesus Verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. And Jesus was very much aware of, of what, was, what was entailed in this. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Was Jesus uh, amazed at what was coming? No, he knew. But he knew for the joy that was set before him. And the joy was to reconcile a bride, to reconcile a people that had fallen prey to Satan in a life of unbelief. He reconciled us, and then he's one day going to present you and I flawless to the Father. And that joy is what was set before him, I believe. And he's like, this is all so worth it. I'm not excited about it. I despise the shame. I've done nothing wrong. I'm perfect. And yet I'm going to pay the price for the most vile thing that mankind has ever done. For the serial killer, for the rapist, for the murderer, for the drug addict, I'm going to pay the price for every single one of those sins, even though I never did any of them. You see, many people, you know, he didn't die just for a good cause. Because many people throughout history have been crucified. Thousands of people have been crucified. But do you know that unlike anyone else, Jesus was the only one to take the sin of the world upon himself. Yes, we, we know this. But what does it say in Corinthians? For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's what the scripture says. There's no one like him, no one like Jesus. And this is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, not long after the time that we are looking at now, that Jesus said, 
My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a while a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible. I'm not looking forward to this, but I know it has to be done. But if there is any other way, please, not as I will, not as I will, but as you will. And when he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me for one hour? In verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus was always doing those things to please the Father. He says, I always do those things. What a wonderful servant. What a wonderful son. And as sons and daughters of the great king, ought we not to have that same heart? To say, Lord, whatever you want, I want to do. I want to be your servant. I don't care what it is. And, you know, don't worry that he's going to send you into some, you know, African nation where there's lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You know, and you're going to be in in this little grass hut and you're going to be plagued with malaria and he's going to expect, you know. Don't worry about where he's going to send you or what he's going to do with you. Certain people have that calling and other, most of us don't. But we are to be faithful in the things that he calls us to. And therefore, verse 29, the people who stood and heard it said that it had thundered. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Notice that God does these things not to show off his ability. He doesn't do miracles. He doesn't, he doesn't do this sign in a sense to boast of himself. No, he, why, why did he do it? He did it for the people that they might come to understand. And that's God's heart. He's not, he doesn't need to show off. You and I need to show off because we like to make our ourselves look better than what we really are. But God says, I, I am all that. Thank you very much. And he's right. He's a God Almighty. He has every right to boast in himself, but, it, but there's no arrogance. There's no pride because it's just the facts. It's just the facts. Now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And the sin of the world was about to be atoned for. We know that just days from then. And Satan and his program will be defeated on the cross. He has already been defeated, but there's still uh, things happening right now. But ultimately, there is going to be a time where not only Satan himself, but also his works, his program will be judged once and for all, and we'll never have to see him or deal with him ever again. And I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? In a world that is just ravaged by sin, even in the church, sin just ravaging it. And people not walking with the Lord and not walking close to him and falling prey to things. And we're susceptible, that's why we need to pray. We need to be serious. That's why we need to take, our, take on the armor of God, because those darts are going to come after you. You need to have the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need these things to combat the things that are coming at us. At lightning speed now, more than ever, the deceptions all around us, breaking our hearts. Verse 32, and Jesus said, And if I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And Jesus, of course, is speaking of his crucifixion. And in the Romans, they would actually... um, they would have what they call a patibulum, and that's the, the, the main bar that will go across the arms. They would have a pole in the ground, and then they would strap the, the patibulum, this long piece of wood ranging from 75 to 125 
pounds of weight, and then they would just hang you up on that thing. And Jesus would be lifted up between heaven and earth as he was suspended there between the heaven and the earth. And this he said, notice verse 33, signifying by what death he should die. The Jews, you know this, their form of capital punishment was stoning, but the Romans, they crucified. They learned it from the Persians. They invented it. But then the Romans came and they mastered the art of crucifixion. Horrible, horrible uh, waited to die. And so, verse 34, the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And see, the Jews knew that Jesus Christ, they knew that the Messiah had to be God in the flesh. They knew that he had to live eternally. And so they had a struggle with this idea of Jesus dying on the cross, but they failed to understand that the prophecies in the Old Testament even spoke of his resurrection. Like Psalm 16, verse 10, you know, and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. These, these scriptures that we're not going to go into, but, um, you know, you can write these down, but it speaks of that. But, it, but, but they, they understood that he was uh, alive forevermore. Because in, in Daniel chapter um, uh, 7, in the very last verse, uh, 14, uh, says, Then to him was given, and it's speaking of Christ, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages serve him. His dominion is what? An everlasting dominion. It's not just going to last for a thousand years, folks. It's going to go way on beyond that, which cannot pass away. It's not going to pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed, not be destroyed. So then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. I am the light, Jesus said. I will, I will be with you a while longer, and walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. If you're not a believer, you're, 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 like, you're walking around in the dark. You're stumbling around because you have no idea where you're going, what your purpose is. And that's a really unsettling thing for anyone to go through. That's why it's important to, to, be, to give your heart to Christ. Give your heart to Christ today. Don't wait any longer. You don't have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed. So, verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke and departed, and he was hidden from them. And then going into verse 37, But although he had done so many of these signs before them, they did not believe in him. And see, the witnessing of miracles doesn't necessarily save anyone or bring someone to a saving faith. What did it say in John 6, verse 29? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Notice that you believe in him whom God has sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign, what miracle will you perform then that we may see it and then believe in you? What work will you do? What they were basically saying is, We hold to the idea that seeing is believing. And many people today do as well. Many people in the church, not maybe not any of you, but in the church globally, in, 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 or at least nationally, there are people who believe that seeing is believing. They, 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 don't, they still don't get it. And yet, this is the mantra of every man that, show me and then I'll believe. Show me and then I'll believe. But they had it all wrong because it's actually believing is seeing.
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.